Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, Gabby Roslin chats her BBC Radio 4 movie quiz, talking pictures, TV legend John Craven talks about his brand new memoirs, headlines and hedgerows, and the brains behind Bodyguard and Line of Duty, the writer of those two shows. Jed Mercurio takes us through his fascinating career, plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. David David's over to you. The new podcast series Maybe Baby is our next guest attempt to answer the big question. To breed or not to breed? She's a Virgin Radio presenter here with some very exciting news indeed. Please welcome the dog-loving radio sensation that is the simply wonderful Kate Lawler. Morning, Lawler. Oh, man. My life is complete. I just got a Dapper Dave intro. <laughs> you got a Dapper Dave intro. I've my whole life for that. And it's yours to keep. Thank you. Yours to take home with you today. Thank you. Right, so uh, first of all, we'll talk about your podcast, Maybe Baby. It's you and your fiancé. You've now upgraded Bodge from the status of boyfriend to actual fiancé. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he upgraded me. Oh, is that, is that yeah. how it happened? Okay, so so when did you meet? How did you meet? How long have you been together? We met at an, an awards show six years ago. Yeah. And, yeah, he was just following me around all night in the end. In the <laughs> okay. end, I gave him my number yeah. and said, call me. But I did say, <clears throat> excuse me, this isn't going anywhere. I'm not going out with you. Um, you're not going to be my boyfriend. I'm never going to marry you or have your right. child, just so you know. Okay. Because I'd recently come out of a relationship. But then um, the rest is history because we went on a date and then I just literally fell in love with Did him. you? Yeah. Well, did you surprise yourself? I did. Because I didn't think I wanted to be in a relationship so soon after the last. But we're engaged, which I never thought. I never thought I'd marry. I never thought I'd have children. Yeah. But now I'm starting to ask myself, do I? All right, and that's what Maybe Baby's about, it's mm. a, it, which is an interesting concept. It's a great concept. Mm. Okay, so how many podcasts have you done? We It's a series of 12. Episode one came out on Sunday. Um, our guests were Vogue Williams and Spencer Matthews. It's it's a quite a lighthearted and fun series, but at the heart of it is quite a kind of complex issue and a serious subject. Very because, complex issue. Um, I've never had that kind of ticking biological clock or, yeah. or that maternal instinct and not all women want to be mums but mm-hmm. there, there comes a huge pressure and um, there's a lot of stigma surrounding women who don't want children and I just think there should be a bit more of a, uh, a community where everyone's accepting of, of women who what don't is, want kids well, what, a, what a fantastic concept when I met Kate she said to me on our second date by the way this isn't going anywhere I'm not going out with you <laughs> I'm not marrying you I'm not having kids with you did I? Just to confirm what you I forgot I'd said it. I forgot I'd said it. But yeah, so he's winning. So the podcast is working for everyone, including the actual hosts of it. Okay. I just I just don't know if I'm ever going to change so, my mind. So it's is... called Maybe Baby and it, yeah. it's out there now and you get it via um, the Everywhere. way you get all your other podcasts. Yeah. If you're in the podcast world and if you're not, um, then you should be uh, because there's fantastic things uh, in the podcast world nowadays. And uh, the, the growth of podcast is ex-spo-blimin-nential. So that's one thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when are you getting married, by the way? June 2020. June 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you booked a wedding band yet? 
There's no, but a, I, but I am going to ask. Behind you, I'm going to ask now that <laughs> I just found that. out. Two door cinema club at your wedding. What? What are you I, saying, Alex? Yeah, up for it. Yeah. Yay! Okay. Post your wedding band days, your wedding singer days. Have you, as a band, played at private gigs? Are you available for private Elton John style hire? We, we played while our manager's now wife walked down the aisle. Yeah, That's which nice. was uh, probably the most stressful gig we've ever played. <laughs> Why was that then? Well, just because. So important. Yeah, so important. What did Nothing you play? to hide behind. What did you play? We played the crystals. Uh, the crystals, and then and then he kissed me. Nice. Oh. Very nice. Play Very when nice. I walk down the aisle. Was that was that so that was, as she was approaching the altar, not coming back. No, that wasn't celebra- the, the end of the service song. No, this is when there's all the tensions in oh the air. Oh, my goodness me. Well done. And uh, did you play as she, as they exited, the, the happy couple? Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> did we play our own <laughs> I don't know, It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, you're, if you ever write a memoir, Alex, it should be, I, I, I think, I think this happened. Yeah, <laughs> it won't be very long. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, so but we have another announcement now because as of Monday, that will be the 2nd, therefore 5th of August, Kate Lawler takes over... Ladies and gentlemen, the Drive Time Show on Virgin Radio. <laughs> this is kick-ass drive time from now on, okay? And taking over your show, Tim Cocker. So, your brand new Fab Four, um, if I can talk about myself in such terms, Fab Four uh, daily lineup on Virgin Radio from Monday. Actually, we've got to put Sam in there as well, haven't we? We've got to start with the famous five. Super Sam, four o'clock with early breakfast. Uh, ourselves here, 6.33 till 10 with the breakfast show with our pals at Sky. Eddie Temple Morris, 10 till 1. One o'clock, Tim Cocker, four till 7. Only Kate Blimmin, soon to be married. Maybe, baby, who knows which way she's going to go. What side of the fence she's eventually <laughs> going to land on. Laura! The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's been a stamp of quality on British TV and radio for over 30 years and shows absolutely no sign of stopping. She's the brains behind the brilliant movie quiz Talking Pictures, which returned this week for its second series on Radio 4. Please welcome the gorgeous movie mastermind, Gabby Roslin. Morning, Gabby! Morning. Thank you, Dave. Well, well done. Uh, series two of your wonderful quiz that you created. And you told me about it while you were creating it, didn't you? Yes. And uh, you got very excited about it. Tell us about where you were, when you thought of it, what you did next and how, it, how, how it's looking at the moment. Oh, uh, well, yes. It's series two of Gabby's Talking Pictures, Wednesday night, 6.30 on uh, BBC Radio 4. Or forever on iPlayer. Uh, hopefully, yes, forever. And forever, wherever. Um, uh, yeah, I was at Alistair McGowan's with his wife, Charlotte and with my husband David and uh, Alistair started doing a voice as is his want and he's brilliant and he was doing a voice of somebody and he quoted a film a line very famous line from a film and I said oh there's a show in that and he said yes anyway so then I spent the whole night writing out an idea based on that and the next morning I phoned up Alistair and I said right I've got a show idea based on uh, revoicing famous films but with different cast members cast members that you do an impression of and how about that as an idea and if I get it as a show would you do it he said yes of course six weeks later I called him up and said have you got a pilot he said what what are you talking about I said you know that show yeah. and that's how it happened so this is what happens when you stop drinking isn't yes. it <laughs> you, be, you get really good again at everything I must try <laughs> sometime um, and so it's one of those shows that would e- easily lend itself to telly is any any whispers of that going on wouldn't that be very lovely yes go on 
No, I'm just saying, wouldn't that be very lovely? Well, that's why we think that will be the next step. Okay, so where would you go with it? Would you stick with the B-boy? You go to Sky? You can come to Sky. Come, come to Sky. Hello, Sky. Come and yes. see us, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm part of Sky. I've got a big meeting with them after the show. Right. Shall I mention it? Yes, please. All right, because it is a big hit. Um, the reaction has been what? Because we know what people think of things straight away nowadays, don't we? Well, the reaction's been incredible. What's so lovely, is, as you say, you well, you were just talking about how the internet's changed everything, and that's your, your new album. But it really has, and at least this way we know. And I think with... With the radio, by the way, congratulations. Thank you very much indeed. With con- congratulations on your radios. Thank you. But uh, we always, we don't know for three months, but with this, we do. And everybody's saying they really enjoy it. They laugh out loud and that they shout at the radio because you want to answer the questions and you, want, you think you know about films. And the other thing about this show is that even people who say, no, I'm not interested in movies, all have a favourite film. So no matter if you've never seen, a, you think you've never seen a film, there's always a film that you say, oh, I, I love that you're all nodding. That's great. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted. That there's everybody has a film that they love or that they hated or the one that brings back this memory or that memory. But imagine Jacob Rees-Mogg doing the voices or uh, Joanna Lumley or David Attenborough. So that's what we brought to it. So, so if you don't, if you can't get your head around this, okay, uh, let's do that for you, shall we? So here we have Alistair McGowan, uh, step toe and sunning right up Star Wars. I will never, I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, he never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough, he told me to do, and you killed him! No, I'm your father. No, 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 no! It's so funny! Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Favourite so far? What's your favourite? Uh, well, Con- probably, what, the two together? Yeah. Well, it's when Alistair does his two like that. Also, I have to say, Ronnie Ancona does the most brilliant Olivia Coleman. First person to do Olivia. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you do Olivia Coleman? She's more Olivia than Olivia is. Olivia, Olivia Coleman does people for a living. She, that's what she does. But so how do you do Olivia Coleman? You wait, you'll have to listen oh, to the show. Oh, so good, this is it. And David Attenborough as well. And he does your friend, Michael Mosley. This week, this Wednesday, he does your friend, Michael Mosley. Mostly. Michael Mosley in a pick, in a big film. In a big film. Oh, it's such a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well done, Gabby. So Thank cool. Thank you. Um, now, Alistair McGowan. So you're at, you're at dinner yeah. at Alistair McGowan's house. Yes. With his wife. With his wife. Name? Charlotte. Charlotte Morning, Charlotte. And your husband? David. David. Are Charlotte and David aware of how much you used to fancy Alistair <laughs> when you were with me? Have you ever have you ever broached that subject? No, but I love Alistair. No, you no, come on, you love him now. Yeah, I love him. But you w- wanted to be you wanted to be Mrs. McGowan for no, about a hundred years. You did, Gabby. You definitely did. No, I didn't. You definitely didn't want to be no. Mrs. Evans, but you definitely wanted to be Mr. McGowan. <laughs> Do you know, but you did something. I remember years and years and years ago. You did something you to t- me. he told everybody that we had had been very friendly and on uh, we were friendly for years on the yes, telly no I know but that sort of friendly no I didn't very very friendly no, I, I opened up a newspaper centre page that Chris Evans admits and I thought no we didn't and then I suddenly thought maybe did we I... didn't no but we didn't <laughs> we never never ever I did but I got, maybe we did but, but I couldn't because <laughs> I remember I do remember Talk one about morning damning with faint no, praise no I remember one morning oh. having a dream uh, about Chris coming into the breakfast show telling him he said no I won't say a word the whole two hours of the big breakfast what exactly happened in your dream Gabby and to this day I haven't told him I've never forgotten that dream but I haven't told him what happened well I'm not sure I want to know anymore to be honest <laughs> she thought well maybe we have well I got confused 
confused. <laughs> have you or haven't you? I'm so confused. No, we haven't. Maybe, baby. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He replaced incisions, biopsies and catheters with exposition, synopsis and chapters. Several novels, a line of duty and a bodyguard later, it turns out he made the right decision. Please welcome the junior doctor turned big daddy of British TV. It's the magnificent Jed Mercurio. Good morning, Jed. Good morning. Tell us about your your time um, uh, working for the NHS. Yeah, I was a, a junior hospital doctor from 91 to 94, and that inf- informed the start of my writing. So I responded to an advert in the British Medical Journal and uh, initially started as an advisor on a medical drama and then ended up uh, writing it, and that was cardiac arrest, and that uh, completely changed my direction in life. I thought I was going to actually do aviation medicine uh, in the forces, and I ended up working in TV. Are you now described as the current king of UK television drama? Um, I know that's, that probably doesn't sit very, um, very, very sort of uh, harmoniously on your shoulders, but it is true. Um, were you any good at writing at school? Did you ever get a gold star for your stories? <laughs> I did a little bit of writing in school, but I was much more of a sciencey kid. I, I loved science and that's what I did in school. Okay, so how, how come you, this, this talent was hiding, hiding under a bushel that you hadn't even discovered yet? What the heck's that about? How can you, how can you have all this and not realise it? Well, I went to a pretty ordinary comp and we didn't really do much drama or creative things. And because I was academic towards science, I ended up choosing something where I could uh, stand more chance of making a gainful living doing, doing a, a vocation so I went to medical school there was just no no real opportunity to to work in the arts and so so the, we're celebrating the fact that the trilogy of these books has been sort of re- released for, for this great beach reads great summer reads um, on your travels uh, in 2019 um, and you have bodies and you have ascent and you have um, American adultery do you buy them all together or do you buy them individually how does it work uh, individually individually okay and uh, bodies became a tv show bbc3 okay and then what and then what happened <laughs> <laughs> then it got cancelled chris no i know what happened <laughs> let's talk about the, the positive so how do you get how do you get from uh, um, medical school uh, advising on cardiac arrest then leaving uh, your job your day job and then uh, writing cardiac arrest then you get your bodies on bbc3 with max beasley and, and then the fact that we need to fast forward we need to fast forward to bodyguard until Land of Duty. How, do, how on earth do you get there? Um, I was developing new projects after after Bodies um, was prematurely cancelled. Uh, I then um, was looking around for a, a new project. And eventually, after a number of years during which I wrote the books, uh, I hit upon writing about the police and writing about them in the way that I'd written about the medical profession, which was um, taking the lid off how things go wrong sometimes and how as an institution the police deal with that and so the 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 idea behind line of duty was it's cops versus cops it's cops investigating alleged misconduct by other cops and so so when you get a scene in line of duty or, or bodyguard right and you we're we're all watching at home, right? And you know, then you you make us better viewers, right? Because you we now know that to expect the unexpected, right? So they, therefore, we then try to figure out the unexpected, which I suppose technically gets back to being the expected again. And you have to outwit us by and some. How do you do that? Well, it's about planting the right questions in the audience's mind. I think if the audience doesn't know what 
questions to ask, then they lose interest. So we have to be very clear on what that proposition is to the audience, and then we give them some clues which may may lead them in one direction. And then as soon as we've gone a little bit in that direction, we kind of throw in some other clues which then push them in another direction. So you 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 need to know enough, but not so much right. that. It's predictable. So, because you do, you leave things out to make it unguessable. Do we really have no chance here? Oh no, it's not that. I think that what happens is that we we tend to have overwritten scripts. So there are often more clues in the scripts. Right. Then when we shoot, we cut some material out. Ah, if we think, that's oh, he, he, yeah, you so absolute cheeky. <laughs> Tyke. It's the same with with, um, with harmonies and music, though, isn't it? Because the Beatles apparently left loads of harmonies out, so we could sing them ourselves. Did you have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. Yeah, Interesting. They, because you know when you say you know, and you you well, this is obvious. Obvious. Yeah. Well, it was there, you idiot, and they just took it off, so you might enjoy yourself a bit more. That kind of thing. That's the magic. Literary powerhouse Jeb McCurry's three brilliant novels, Bodies, Ascent, and American Adulterer, have all been re-released and are out now. Jed, thank you for being here. Um. <laughs> Right, and uh, now we have the question uh, from Gabby Roslin yes. to Jed Mercurio to finish off this part of the show. Jed Mercurio, are we going to learn who is H? Eventually. Thank you very much indeed. Oh! What a way to end the show. It doesn't get any better than that, but the cliffhanger in many ways does continue. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Mark Manson talks about his awesome new book, Everything is Cauliflower. That's not its actual title. I can't say its actual title. Uh, that's it, paraphrased. Well, the bit that's paraphrased is cauliflower. It's Everything is Something Else, a book about hope. An acting supremo, Joe Gilgan, chats about his new Sky original series, Brassic. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? When our next guest is on the screen, you know that everything is going to be okay. His new book, Headlines and Hedgerows, tells the story of co-creating Newsround and turning Countryfile into the smash hit it is today. It's a real pleasure to welcome a real national treasure, the one and only Mr. John Craven. John Craven is in the house. Good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so, uh, John, your book, Headlines and Hedgerows, it is a great book. It's a right riveting read. You've been very fortunate enough to have three massive TV hits in your career. I have. I can't think of anybody else who that's happened to. I don't know. I mean, the all world first, just about as well. You know, Newsround was the first ever children's program yeah. that covered the news. Uh, Swap Shop was the first, the stuff of the BBC, the first three-hour-long live show without a script or anything. Uh, and then, of course, Countryfile, first of its kind. Yeah, all groundbreakers. Like you say, they're, they're, yeah. they're all you know real sort of uh, maverick moments from yeah. fr- from people in charge who were, were... I mean, it was different. It was different, though, wasn't it? You People took more chances in those days. They certainly heaven. did. Uh, certainly with Newsround, it was a great chance that they took uh, because ch- all the research showed that children hated the news. 
they were fed up of being told by adults to be quiet when the news was on and yeah. things like that. So we had to try and break down that resistance. But not only that, I mean, putting on a news show is pretty expensive. But we were fortunate to have a head of, tele- a head of television news in those days uh, who gave us everything for free. You know, uh, the boss of children's programs went along to him and said, can we have a, put a news show? And he said, yeah, you can have all my facilities for nothing. All the resources. Now, that would never happen these Because they were there. And uh, so, so the first the first series, or the, it was a pilot six weeks, wasn't That's it? That's right, yeah. So tell us about that and then tell us about what happened immediately afterwards. Well, uh, we had to make some big decisions. Uh, first of all, that I was not going to wear a suit <laughs> because I'd look like any other adult newsreader yeah. then, you know. So I wore just a, a jacket. No, no, never a jacket. Jumper. Rather. A jumper yeah, yeah. or a shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was a real revolutionary thing. But, but it was so uh, important because I remember. Because yeah. as, as a kid watching, I was thinking, yeah. oh, goodness me, here's a new newsreader who doesn't like a newsreader. So already right. we, saw, we had the chance of liking you. That's right. And I didn't sit behind a desk. No. Uh, and we had to make everything simple without being simplistic. And the main news of the day would be on news round, perhaps, but not the lead story. Yeah. We had, you know, a come on and listen to us kind of story. Yeah, yeah. And presentation would always say, in five minutes' time, it's Blue Peter, but first here's news round. You know, so they <laughs> just knew it. They didn't have to wait for very long. And in those days, before you had the little buttons, you know, to change channel, you had to get out of the chair and go and switch over on the telly. So it wasn't worth the effort for five so minutes. So what, <laughs> what, what programmes over the years did you find either side of you? So Again, some legendary programmes. Well, Blue Peter, of course, yeah. Grange Hill, uh, Vision On, all those sort of programmes. And then Philip Schofield set up the broom cupboard. That's right. And you, yeah. you and he were sort of cohorts. Well, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. And look what I brought for you. Oh, my... Oh. You are having a laugh. You can have that. Honest a to goodness. A rare item. You can't give me this. I can indeed. Oh, my... A swap shop it's, sticker. It's so retro. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's it's sort of it's sort of post-Hockney. It's post-60s <laughs> yes. classic Hockney. It's, it's so groovy. That's a groovy sticker, isn't it? And I always wanted one of these. So this is a swap shop. BBC TV. Look at that BBC TV yeah, logo. Yeah. That's got quality all the way through <laughs> it. And it's as rainbow and groovy as the BBC has ever been. Yeah. And... Um, and tell us, tell us about when Swap Shop happened. What's the, when was the first time you heard the word Swap Shop? 1976. Oh, and, so <laughs> and, you know, Noel Edmonds uh, presented it and Keith Chegwin did it as well. And I was in there as the bit of grit yeah. that they felt that it couldn't all be candy floss on, uh, on a Saturday morning. There had to be a bit of grit there. So originally I was separate from everything else. Uh, you know, doing my news bits, but then I, I gradually worked my way into the show in general, and, and we had a wonderful time. So, um, what next, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, thirty years I've just been celebrating, and they gave me a beautiful cake, right? Uh, which had had me sitting on a rock, you know, oh. and uh, my daughter swimming in a in the lake behind me. Um, so, uh, that was a, they presented me. Uh, that on uh, last Sunday's programme. Big surprise. Fantastic. What are you going to do, though? Are you going to uh, Countryfile Live this weekend? Yeah, Countryfile Live. Um, and then we're doing it again at Castle Howard in Yorkshire in the middle of August. Right. Uh, and that's a great... It's a rare... Op- well, you know this, Chris. It's a fantastic opportunity to meet the people who devotedly yep. listen or watch to you yep. all the time. And you can actually see them in the flesh and, uh, and have a chat and they tell you what they think of the programme. Usually it's quite complimentary. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, though. It's all good yeah. feedback. Lizzie hated in Leeds we have loads of these John John Craven is the voice of my childhood teenage years and now my adulthood love his voice it's as comforting as and warm as custard but you said you've never been ambitious never no things have just happened to me you know I mean I've never gone seeking 
a big job or anything, you know. It's just uh, you've, and, 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 look. I'm, how how ambitious can you be? I mean, I've been oh, 17 years on uh, News Round, 30 years on Country File. Not really looked around for anything else. No, you really. don't need to, do you? No. And that's the thing. Ten I, years on Swap Shop and Super Swap. Have you ever been stressed out about it? Because you've always, you all seem so laid back to me. No, I never really got stressed. They once, uh, in my news round days, uh, some uh, medical uh, uh, experiment and people put stuff all around me, you know, to measure my heart. <laughs> ECGs and, like and things, ECGs, right? you know, live on air, and it hardly moved the heart rate. <laughs> 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 you are the Tibetan monk of BBC broadcasting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's lovely to see you. Um, uh, John's book is out now. John Craven, A Headlines and Hedgerous. It's a cracking read. And if you're of an age, it'll bring back mem- many very uh, happy memories. Thank you, John. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His book titles certainly make him virtually impossible to introduce on the radio without the aid <laughs> of live censoring. So here we go. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a was a New very York Times good. best-selling global <laughs> smash hit. And his new book is bound to do the same. Please welcome the author of Everything Is a Book About Hope. It's the potty mouth, Mark Manson. Morning, Mark. <laughs> good morning. Right, let's... Uh, t- let's a hell of an intro. I know. Well, let's talk... Thank God it went as it did. Uh, right, so... Yeah, let's talk about the, the kind of books you write, first of all, before we get into the titles and the whole, you know, the, the sort of... The, the game changes that was the title of your first book. So for, what kind of books do you write? What kind of books do you write? I, I describe my work as pessimistic self-help. Right. You know, it, it's it's self-help, but it instead of like, rah, rah, you can do it. Just follow your dreams. <laughs> you know, I, I my starting point is is humans are awful. And so, like, let's try to be less awful. Which is, is a, it's much, it's a bit bleaker, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you, what you're saying is accept, look, there's a lot of, rubbish going on um, yeah. but there's nowhere near as much rubbish as maybe we're being told from all sides uh, so but but even even if that were the case you just accepting all right okay that's the bad news yeah here's what we can do about it would that be right yeah yeah i think it's just it's a more realistic starting point of of what we can do to help ourselves right so book two from mark manson or at least uh, book two uh, with the f-bomb in it is everything is cauliflowered following on from book one um, the subtle art of not giving a cauliflower. Now I know, Mark, because I've read it, uh, that you can do this and you have done this. But can you explain to everybody else how you can then subtitle this book if it's called "Everything Is Fudged"? Um, how can you then say a book about hope? <laughs> because hope needs something to be cauliflowered. <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is the the paradox of of our experience that that is so interesting and that I, I explore throughout the book, which is that the more problems there are in life, the easier it is to know what to hope for, the easier it is to find meaning. Uh, the fewer problems there are in your life, uh, the more difficult it is to, to know what to hope for or to find meaning. So there's there's kind of this paradoxical thing where it's like the more struggle we have, uh, the more importance we feel and vice versa. And is that almost because we have to? So it becomes a, a reaction, as a, a, a necessary reaction as opposed to a, voluntarily, a voluntary response or contemplation? Yeah, I mean, in general, I think the human mind uh, will generate its own problems if, if it's not presented with any. You know? And so, so what you see in the psychological research is that you know, if you put people in a cushy environment where everything's easy and comfortable... Uh, they'll start inventing things to get upset about. Yeah. You know, it's the human mind is always, you're basically always going to be a little bit dissatisfied. And so that's the blue dot effect as well, isn't it? So explain to everybody about the seven out of 10 scoring regime. So it's, 
there's a lot of interesting <laughs> back in the day when when psychologists wanted to originally study happiness you know they, they were like well it's really easy let's just give people like a pager this was the 80s so they gave people pagers and they they told people they said whenever we ring your pager just write down on a scale from one to ten how happy you are and what you're doing at that moment and so they do this with a bunch of people for weeks and months and years and uh what they found was really startling it was that actually everybody is pretty much always around a seven you know and it's like you get a you get a raise at a job you go you go up to nine or ten for a few days and you come back to seven uh if somebody something bad happens you drop to a four or five and then you come back to a seven even people with with really extreme things like car accidents deaths of loved ones like people who won the lottery they go up to 10 or they go down to a four or five and then they go they eventually end up back at a seven a few months later and so it it's in a very weird way it's like it doesn't matter what the hell you do yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be at your seven <laughs> isn't it funny that so is is the problem 10 is 10 the problem because it is seven not the real 10 and 10 is an imposter well i i think what our our our, our brains kind of play this magic trick on us that we never really figure out it which is that we, we we tell ourselves we're like well you know if i just if i just buy a house i'll be at a 10 you know like a house will like it'll get me there i'm gonna finally be there you know and then you go get the house and then, and then you're like, well, no, I, I think, I think I need a new car. Like that'll get me to the tent, you know. And so you just kind of keep playing. Your brain keeps presenting this illusion to you that the tent is possible. The tent's in front of you, and uh, you know, and and this happens. We evolve this way for a reason, you know. Our brains evolve this way because it it keeps us working and doing things. Um, but when it comes to the question of happiness, uh, it it means that we can't really trust our instincts. Okay, so how do we get to a tent? How do we get to it? You don't. We don't. You what don't. Do you, what, what do you mean we don't get to a 10? <laughs> Why can't we get to a 10? I, it's, happiness is not the important question. What about an 8? I don't know, man. You, you Go get a massage. <laughs> okay, well, I had the mud treatment over the weekend. So ha- happiness is not the answer. It's, it, it's not the important question. You know, my, my argument is if you, if you deal with the deeper questions of meaning and purpose, um, of doing something important, choosing challenges that feel meaningful... Uh, you know, happiness just naturally occurs as a byproduct. Do you do talking tours and things? Yes. When are you doing one of those here soon? Yeah, I'm doing Manchester tonight. Right. At the the home, I okay. think. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then at the Islington Hall here in London Islington. tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Mark Manson. Okay. Uh, go listen to him. Go read him. Uh, the titles of his books are to be you. Well, yeah, I can't say them. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His new working class comedy Brassic is full of laughter, loyalty, and lifelong friends. With a Shetland pony, a pet llama, and a lost pigeon called Nigel. It's the Sky original show that everyone's talking about, and it's coming to a screen near you later this month. Please welcome the uber talented Lancashire lad Joe Gilgan. Morning, Joe. Thanks, guys. Congratulations on everything. Thank you very much. Okay, this will be, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up where the sun don't shine. This will be the most talked about show on British TV. It will win um, every award for comedy uh, in the next twelve months, and I'm not joking because it will. And if it doesn't, then there's no point in awards anymore. Um, so, first of all, for people that don't know, who are you? Where did you come from? Well, what is your life story so far? All right, so I, start, I suppose I'm not, I'm not so, so working class now. I've, I've had a right posh hotel room doing all this. It's been unbelievable. I had to check in make sure that it actually was mine it had two stories <laughs> well this can't be right like I'm at 
I'm an ex-bloody criminal drug addict. This cannot be right. Is that all true? Um, yeah, a lot of it is true. I, I mean, I can't obviously can't go into details on 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 Breakfast Family Radio. Absolutely, yeah. But a lot of it is based on truth. I would say that the the truest element of it is is the mental health side. I do suffer with bipolar, right? And we've been very very open and candid about that. Um, I think we are. I think you know, particularly men, we do kind of struggle to to talk about our feelings, especially when we are struggling. And I think the reason for that is probably because you kind of need to learn, you, you know, and if no one's ever shown you, you've never given it a go, it can be very difficult knowing what you need, especially telling people, you you know, that you, you're you in a, a tough place. All the greatest comedies um, that they've ever been written have heart at uh, the centre of them. And sometimes you don't realise this, but they, they all do from a writing point of view. And yours has such a huge heart, but it's so funny. And I love it because there's no jokes in it. It's just funny because life mm. is just funny and jokes necessarily aren't, but life is. Right, Who tell us about the characters that surround Vinny, which is, of course, you. Tell us where Vinny and and uh, Joe Gilgan begin and uh, join and, and separate. I would say that me, me and Vinny are ve- we're very very similar, and the lines get very blurred for me. I, like I, I, uh, I suppose Vinny's probably a bit of a cooler version than me. He shoulders his problems a lot better than I do. Um, we had to make it. We had to make a cooler version. No one would actually be interested in me. It's it's, <laughs> it's terribly disappointing. Um, the novelty certainly wears off. My mother will tell you that. But so the, he so he is what in this. He's a bipolar. He's bipolar. He's a bipolar career criminal. Yeah. Career criminal. Yeah. Uh, lovable, likable, uh, forgivable. Long suffering. I'd Long say. Long suffering. Yeah. Um, it does things like steals cars to order. Then when the car turns out to be the wrong car, returns the car. You have to unsteal it. Yeah. To un- to unsteals the car and fills mm. it with petrol and leaves a note on the windscreen saying, "Sorry, I've refilled it with petrol. Do apologise." However, the roadkill is still attached to the front bumper. I wasn't a brilliant thief. I was. I wasn't great at it because you. To, to, you ha- we had a very warped moral. Co- you have a, quite a warped moral code as a as a career criminal, and the one thing I, I mean, I wasn't great with numbers. I'm like dyslexic. I, I you know, I'd, I'd often be in the wrong. See now, I'm I'm venturing down that road. I said I won't go down. No, don't go down. <laughs> I'm doing okay. it. And you're not extolling the virtues of breaking the law. Uh, but you're saying that that is some people's lives. It's based on it's based on very loose truths. A lot of the stories, right. um, the characters, a lot of the characters are real. The thing is with Chorley, where I'm from, it's a it's a. I honestly love Chorley. Art. This is not. Um, I'm not giving Chorley a hard time at all. I think it's the people that make Chorley, and and because it's such a an unusual place and kind of in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of it's been slightly forgotten. It's much about more it. countryfied than I remember. It's it. very rural, yeah, and it's and it and it breeds a lot of unusual characters, and and so I've been surrounded by these people throughout my my development as a young man, and and I've always loved them. And people, this is the other thing. When I'm, uh, the, the, you are ex- no matter how odd you are, you are accepted in Chorley. Absolutely, you are. <laughs> you, you're treated as an equal, and we've got we've got all kinds down there. We've got a guy who wears his wig backwards. That's just how he prefers to wear it. It's insane. We've got um, cowboys, like a small group of cowboys. I see kicking around. Actual at the cowboys. Well, they fancy them, so they're Lancastrian. So uh, and they sort of. I, I, what, I was listening into one of them actually, and he was talking to this young lad. He didn't know. He called him. Son, he sort of said it in a bit of a, a bit with a bit of a cowboy twang. He's, I mean, he truly believes it, you know. And so these people, I, I remember them, and and uh, and I try, you know, I try and make, and I'm still meeting people, and like people on the street, and I think I'm going to do something with you, Sky. We, I don't know why it's all written in the stars, but Sky, 
since we got together with them, they dished up for us. Uh, they dished up Chernobyl. They dished up Riviera Series 2. And then it came along Big Little Lies, which I was late to the party to. Then we had the Sky, uh, the Sky Cricket World Cup. And I was thinking, that's all good. But where, you know, where's the next Chernobyl? And then bang, last night, lands on your laptop. And it's I've, got to, I've got to say, if I can, and, I'm, and I genuinely, I'm not just saying, I know we all do this for our networks, the people who support us. Sky... John Montague, Zai Bennett, they, these honestly, these men, they, they, this network have just been—they have been unbelievable. Like we couldn't have dreamt of it. They've—they've they've just let us get on with things. They never had a note. Then they've been so supportive. So, you know, I, I can't—I can't speak highly enough for that team. They've been wonderful. The whole from start to finish, every department. All so right. I'm truly grateful. What are you doing for the rest of the day, my friend? I've got to go and do a photo shoot now. Do a lot of smouldering. Um, Honestly, give us a smell. Go on, I'll do it right now. He's me, very good at this. Specs off. Very good. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's very right. good. It's got depth. Mild pout. A mild pout. It's got depth. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it's, it, it's verging on a scowl, which is the best form of smolder. Where are we going to see that smolder? What what magazine want you to Do you know what? I don't know because I don't front, listen to anything. GQ front cover. <laughs> yeah. No question Men's about it. Men's health. You'll be, you'll be man of the year next year. You'll win Men's all those blimmin' awards. We'll be sick of the sight of him. We never want to hear from him again. His name was, was... Joe Gilgin, he was on the show once. Ta da! Thanks ever so much, guys. Bye bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. The book Blinded by the Light tells the story of his adoration of Bruce Springsteen so vividly the boss himself is now involved and a movie is on the way. Please welcome journalist and Bruce's biggest fan, Safraz Manzoor, and the man soon to be portraying him on the big screen, the wonderful Vivek Kalra. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome and congratulations. Uh, I love the film. Uh, so, first of all, let's talk to Safraz, if that's okay, Vivek, if you don't mind. Of okay, Safraz, uh, tell us about your 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 childhood. Um, how old were you? Who was the guy that told you about Bruce Springsteen? What was your life situation at the time? Okay, so, Luton, 1987. I'm 16 years old, and uh, I'm an Asian working-class kid, and my dad works in a car factory. My mum makes clothes at, at, at home. And life seems pretty small. Uh, you don't really think, if you're coming from that background, most of the people that we knew were taxi drivers, they worked in factories. Um, and I always wanted more than that, but it just seemed completely impossible, to be honest. I would look on the TV screen and I would watch stuff and I'd say, who gets to be on the other side of that screen? Or you'd read things in magazines and you think, who gets to write them? It just didn't seem possible. And the music I was listening to was all top 40 stuff. You know, it was all Foreigner and Bonnie Tyler and Madonna and things, which is all good, but it doesn't mean anything. In college, I start college in September 1987, and my first week, I run into this kid, and he's got a turban on, he's an Asian guy, he's got headphones on, and I said, what are you listening to? And he said, I'm listening to Bruce Springsteen. And this is 1987, so all the kids in our class are listening to Bros and Mars and stuff like that. It's like, Bruce Springsteen, isn't he that guy who pretends to be working class and makes millions out of it? Yeah. And this guy goes, you're an idiot, you know nothing about what you're talking about. Springsteen is the direct line to all that's true in the world. If you want to know how to be wise, if you want to know how to live well, all you have to do is listen to the words of Bruce Springsteen. And there was something about the passion of this guy that I thought, well, maybe I'm missing out. So he gave me some cassettes and they weren't even proper cassettes. They were the ones that used to buy in petrol stations for three for a pound. And I listened to the first song that night and it was The River. And it wasn't even the river, it was the introduction to the river where Bruce is talking about his dad growing up. And I'm like, 
I don't remember Lionel Richie talking about his dad before he sings hello. This is just crazy. And that opened me up and I started really getting into Springsteen. I started, I had a Springsteen folder, I had photocopies, lyrics. And that inspired me to sort of make some decisions that I wouldn't have normally made and sort of say, look, you know what? You've only got one life. Why not try and be a writer? Ended up becoming a journalist, wrote a book called Greetings from Berry Park, and uh, and that's why I'm talking to you now. Now, um, Vivek, are you the same age in the movie as Safraz was when he was experiencing this? So I'm playing a 16-year-old in the film, right. and I was doing that as basically a 20-year-old. So I had to, you know, you know, exude a sort of... Um, youthful innocence. Yeah, youthful innocence, and like knock off a bit of self-consciousness, <laughs> um, which, you know, comes into play into, you know, adolescence. You know, you don't have that as a kid. You you just you just sort of sing about and dance about and that's just the thing you do when you're a kid, yeah. until you know, adulthood hits you and What's you that? you try and be slightly smaller and slightly sort of more within yourself. I think especially in the UK and in Britain, there's that sort of culture of like being as small as possible. Um, but the character was sort of beautiful in that way, and that like we were running about the streets of Luton singing at the top of our lungs, which is not something I'd normally do in my day to day life. Um, <laughs> But something how, how did came, Newton react to that generally? I, I honestly, it's as if I blocked everything out and I became this mini Safraz and somehow nothing meant anything apart from the words of Bruce Springsteen <laughs> for the whole filming process and, and cute, even after that. The cute thing is I asked him initially, I was trying to say, are you, you know, what kind of music are you into? And he said, oh, I'm into old school music. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, from the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, well, it is though, still. But the then you became, you became a fan as a result of... I did. Which how how much odd. do you like Springsteen now? I adore Springsteen, which is odd to say as a 21-year-old. Um, but the man is, you know, he's a poet. And you look at his words and anything you think seems surface level, you go and research and you're like, oh, right, that's, that's not that's surface thing, level that's at all. Yeah. You, he's got a catchy, some of his songs have got a catchy tune and lyrics that you think, oh, they don't mean anything more than what they are you know, to the ear. Yeah. And then you go back and research and you, like, understand what these songs are about and you're like... It's like that scene in Dark when he discovers Springsteen for the first time with Dancing in the Dark comes yeah. on. He seems like a pop song. Yeah. It's about desperation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course it is. Mm. Yeah. And it just really kits it. That, that scene really shows you why those words matter. Vivek, coming back to, to where the movie ends up, mm. which is this amazing speech in the school hall. And it is an amazing speech. Mm. Um, and we won't, we won't spoil it for anybody. But when movies try to be uplifting, they, they end up just being cheesy. Mm. You can't try to make an uplifting movie. Like, you can't try and be cool. You're either cool or you're not. Yeah. What sense did you get? How, how did you have to manage that bit of the movie to make it... You, well, you to let it be what it wanted to be. I think it's it's simple in that you just have to be aware of what it was like to be that person in those circumstances, to be a 16-year-old in Luton in 1987 facing the sort of trials and tribulations you're facing uh, and have a and have a chance to speak. Because a lot of times, you know, you don't have a chance to speak when you're getting, you know, the life kicked out of you for looking like this. You know what I mean? And so for that character, that person to have an opportunity to speak in a time period that, you know, usually you wouldn't have done and you see him sort of break down and, and, and that's, a, that's a rare moment. OK, one more thing before you go. Uh, has Springsteen seen the movie? He has. Um, basically, I had to write a letter to him to try and get permission for him to use, to, to use the music. Oh, can you imagine if he said That no. was the <laughs> hardest letter you've ever, ever imagined. Like, this guy, you can change my life if you say yes to this. And then he said yes, so that was great. And then the film got made, and then Gorinda, uh, who directed it, sent it off, went to New York to meet him, 
watched it with him. He came over, gave her a kiss and said, thank you for treating me so beautifully. Oh, wow. That's cool, isn't it? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you're staring at a plate of (laughs) chips and wondering why you just can't shift the weight, our next guest is just the man for you. His new book, Eat, Shop, Save, Eight Weeks to Better Health is out now and the accompanying ITV series returns tomorrow night. Please welcome the healthiest looking human I've ever seen. It's Dale Pinnock. Well, he's not far off, apart from yourself, of course, after your posh holiday, uh, Dapper Dave, by the way. Hi, Dale. How you doing? Very well. How are you? Very well. So tell us about uh, tell us about you as in 2008 then, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. So we first met in 2008 on Drive. I was kind of just kind of coming up through the ranks and Where trying to get Where were you then? There. What were you doing then? I didn't even have a book out then. I was just I'd not long graduated. I sort of graduated from my first degree in 2006. Where so was that? That was at Westminster. And what was the degree? It was in nutrition. Right. Yeah. And just kind of starting to get out there, really wanted to do a lot of stuff in the media and by some crazy chance I got the opportunity to join you on Drive. So this was pre The Breakfast Show on Radio 2. Yes. Okay, so so what did we talk about during that interview? Talking about using food as medicine, so right. the whole medicinal cookery thing. I bought you as a flu fighting soup. You, <laughs> yes, absolutely. That, that was a weird thing that kind of became my signature dish. And I've like never been ages. ill since. Yes, and it's all superhuman, absolutely. And so, so that changed things for you. Yes. To what extent? Um, now I've published 15 books that are in 19 languages in 22 countries. We're in the third series of this show. We've done a lot of, um, sort of guest appearances on daytime TV, lots of radio and odds and ends. Okay, so, so you must be good. You have you must have a message that's worth hearing. What is your, your message in a nutshell? For me, really, it's about demystifying healthy eating. I mean, the, the climate that we're in at the minute where everyone seems to be obsessed with nutrition and weirdly kale has become something aspirational. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of fadism. There's a lot of nonsense. I just want to stand up and say, look, it's very, very simple. You don't have to follow any kind of weird diet. You don't have to put ridiculous pressure on yourself. A few key changes to your day-to-day habits can make a huge amount of difference. So, so that's the challenge, and that's the environment uh, in, in which we're all existing at the moment. What would be a 12-word solution? A 12-word solution. So just change one thing. Yeah. Be realistic yep. and be gentle with yourself. So change one thing. If all, if you're living on, like, you know, pizza and beer, uh, don't try and become, like, a raw food vegan overnight. It ain't going to happen. Right. You know, not many people can do these drastic changes. But change one thing, whether it's a commitment to just having a good quality breakfast or a decent side salad with each meal or stopping drinking coffee, whatever it is, one thing that you can do that you know you can stick to, yeah. keep doing it until it becomes the norm. Yeah. Then once it's it's no longer a painful thing, yeah. change something else. Then change something else. And you look back over six months and you realise your entire lifestyle has changed, but you've not put ridiculous pressure on yourself. Yeah, and be careful which pain you choose. We've talked about this before. Choose your pain. Choose the pain that's good for you. So come up with something that's something that's valuable to you. So it's something that you want to do in your life that's valuable to you, yeah. that gives more meaning to to your life than something you're doing that you don't want to do and the change may be more automatic than you can possibly imagine absolutely and, and using the whole pain hook as well i mean not without getting to tony robbins it's kind of like if you can associate the pain of not making that change so a lot of people come into eating healthier from like a trip to the doctor all of a sudden they realize they've got really high cholesterol or their their cardiovascular risk markers are raised those kind of things and they're like oh god i really need to sort myself out remember that emotion remember the way that you felt at that moment and associate that with not changing yeah and with you know if you don't step up and and take responsibility obviously there's going to be negative consequences and that pain can be a driver as well 
What's in your flu-preventing soup? Oh, crack. That's, go- that's going back some. See, a lot, a lot of it was for, like, symptomatic relief. So there was ungodly amounts of chilli and ginger in there. Yep. Which is, by the way, which works. Yep. Yeah, it does. And garlic. Garlic. It does garlic. Yeah. Turmeric. Um, there wasn't any turmeric in there. There were shiitake mushrooms, because shiitake mushrooms contain these long-chain polysaccharides that can have inf- interesting influences on our immune system. talk dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Polysaccharide. I know. But on the front of your book, Eat, Shop, Save. Okay, so th- this is brand new recipes and meal planners from uh, the hit ITV show. Mm-hmm. And this is Dale's own book, the Sunday Times best-selling author. Uh, you have this magic the, this magic um, sort of sell on the front. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm not having a go at it. <laughs> eight weeks to better health. Why the heck not? Give yourself, give it a go. Eight weeks. Mm-hmm. What are, what's eight weeks in your life? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe wait until the end of your summer holidays, if you like. But come September, you've got se- September, October... Come November, with hmm. still a month and a bit to go to Christmas, you could feel amazing. Exactly. And the thing is, these are very, very small changes as well. You'll see with the recipes in the book, it's nothing outlandish. It's not all like grass-fed unicorn and wonga wonga berries or any of this ridiculous stuff. It's everyday ingredients. I like the sound of that. Yeah, <laughs> as well. yeah. yeah you know how, how ridiculous some of the healthy how stuff is. How does unicorn feel. horn? Yes. Kids don't cry into your soup. Don't worry about it. Uh, where, so you, you have a big section here on uh, juices, don't you? On um, smoothies. Where do you the sit smoothies. on smoothies? Because people say you, 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 if you liquidise things, they become less useful. Oh, definitely with smoothies you still retain the fiber so one of the problems with some of the the more fruit centric juices they don't have the fiber there they can raise blood sugar very quickly and some people it can make them a little yeah. bit heady but with a smoothie you've got the fiber the fiber slows down the release of the sugar so it kind of drip feeds the blood sugar a little bit it, but you know it's a convenient way of getting more of that good stuff in at the end of the day and is, is fruit really the enemy that no, is not at becoming all. Not at all. It seems to be on the front page of every paper. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that some of those sugar, papers, sugar, like, you sugar. know, by, on Monday, like, coffee will cure everything, and by Friday, it causes everything. But it's all based, but, but they're all just reports of scientific research, though. Well, they're reports of small studies, often. I see. You know, and those small studies, it may be a cohort of about 12 people and somebody's dog, and it was like they were given something for a week, and this was the outcome. That sets the stage for further study. Gotcha. But the most reliable information is coming from these large population studies and very well designed um, interventional studies. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.